Welcome to the AI on Action podcast, the show where we break down the hype and highlight the practical benefits of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence on our everyday lives. Subscribe to the podcast, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any Android podcast of choice. Hello and welcome once again to the show. We're at the Science Gallery at Trinity College today. My guest is Conor McGinn. Conor is an assistant professor at the School of Engineering at Trinity College. And Conor has actually got a massive passion for AI and robotics. And he even studied it into the design and control of autonomous mobile robots during his PhD. I'm delighted to have Conor on the show today. And we're also going to find out a little bit more about what attracted him to actually get to work with AI robotics, what he learned from his doing his PhD in the NASA Space Flight Center, and also what he believes the future of AI. Most importantly, we're going to talk about Stevie, the care robot that's actually being built at Trinity at the moment. Connor, welcome to the show. Hi, Harry Vince. Great to have you on, on the show today. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you actually became interested in AI and robotics? You know, like any child being interested in Legos and building things, that's for me when I trace it back kind of where it started. I, saw you know tv shows like transformers when it was a cartoon um and things like inspector gadgets and power rangers maybe some of your, your listeners will remember they weren't just the the action heroes there were also machines that they built that uh you know fought each other and i guess i was i was drawn to the the glamour of, of machines back then and i didn't grow up I enjoy Transformers and Lego. It's so much fun. Just my kids have got them now. It's just so much fun just having a sneak play of, of them. It's, uh, it's really good. And so I also saw that you had the chance to work with the, uh, the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center for a couple of months during your PhD. What was that like and what did you learn from it? Yeah, it, it, was, it was fantastic. It was it kind of, the, the opportunity arose in a somewhat strange way. I was, uh, there was a number of people at the time in Ireland who were, who were working on robots. Really, it was kind of an underground thing. The Science Gallery had just been built, and there was a thing called the Irish <coughs> Robotics Club, which was kind of hobbyists building robots in their spare time. It was nothing professional. We were really just messing around. And what happened was, was that there was a NASA uh, program that was being run where they looked for not, not university, kind of master's level PhD students. They wanted them for summer to work on a, pro- a full project. And they kind of got wind of what we were working on, and they kind of liked the idea that this was a student-run group in Dublin that was that was doing things and you know long story short uh, I got invited to go over and spend the summer in Goddard and which is in Maryland on the east coast and we were working on a, an interesting project it was a little bit outside of what my expertise was in this was uh, trying to develop a robot that might be able to um, go to really cold places on earth uh, so what they wanted to do was understand the rate at which global warming was happening by measuring how thick the ice was and I spent the summer trying to design, being part of a team that designed a, um, a robot that was to trove around Greenland measuring the thickness of the ice. And now I see you and your fellow researchers are working on your own prototype uh, care robot, Stevie, which I had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with today. Stevie, tell me about some of the things that you can assist people with. I am here to assist you and try and make your life easier. I can keep you company and connect you to your loved ones. I can help you organise your life and remind you of important things happening. I can also perform security patrols and notify an emergency contact if something seems wrong. I can help you find things, deliver objects, play games, and play music. These are just some of the things I can do. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the work behind creating Stevie and what your goal is? Sure. Uh, well, I suppose personally the motivation that I've got to do the work we're doing is, is really to make impact. In engineering, it's all about ideas and using science to realise those ideas. And the potential is there to do really incredible things. And 
where I see robots going, at least robots we're making, is being able to help people that are vulnerable or currently heavily dependent on others. I think that using robots as an assistive technology is, is something that uh, could be a real game changer in, in providing and empowering people and providing them with the ability to, to kind of live independently and so forth. Uh, so for us, what, what Stevie and it's kind of the, 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 the predecessing research, what we've looked, what we've tried to do is try to figure out, you know, what are the kind of key impediments for making, you know, technology, including robots, what's, what's, what's stopping us doing this now? And that has inspired a huge amount of research. And Stevie, for us now, is kind of, we're at a point where a lot of the fundamental stuff we think has been done, and we're now trying to get the next step, and that is to develop, you know, a platform that's going to that's gonna go out and hopefully, you know, work with users, and we'll learn from that experience, and, you know, it'll hopefully be an iterative process where we make it better and better. And for those that literally uh, don't necessarily know an awful lot about some of the benefits that actually Stevie could bring, could you mind just probably share some of that? I think the biggest problem we're, we're trying to tackle at the moment is issues associated with losing um, independence as we get older. Um, I think it's a common experience, it's certainly one that, that I've experienced personally, that we have older, whether they're, relation, whether they're grandparents or parents, when they get older quite often um, they're living alone, um, the risk of falls becomes a lot higher, uh, illnesses like dementia and Alzheimer's become you know, an awful lot more, more common and they, they tend to get worse. And in those situations, people, you know, you know, their their family and friends um, get very concerned that you know these people can't stay um, living by themselves much longer. Something like accidents happen. You know, one in three people over the age of sixty five will fall every year. Um, so this is a problem that at the moment, you know, there's no easy fix to it. You know, you you potentially could pay for a twenty four hour nursing care, which again is an expensive solution. It's a very invasive solution. You could install cameras and things like that in the environment. Again, it's a big brother type model. You could send them to a nursing home. Most people want to age in place. Most people don't want to do that. Again, it's still very expensive. So for us, we're trying to see, is there a way in which we can build technology, not, not to, to do a job of a person, but just to, you know, as a tool that helps people age you know, in a dignified way. Um, so the robots we're making, um, it's not just robots. We're also building kind of smart infrastructure, you know, sensors that we put in the environment that are able to do interesting things. And we can kind of tell, you know, is there significant behavior, change in behaviors over time? If someone falls, can we raise the alarm? Is, is there a way in which we can remind people to take medication? Can we remind people that you know, maybe a window is open, a uh, door is open? If, if people are forming a task that might put them at risk, for example, so let's say they're walking around at night time and there's no lights on, maybe the robot can make an intervention there. Um, one of the big challenges that we see, again, with this, with this demographic is, is, is loneliness and depression. These are, these are you know, it might, it might not sound it and people might not, might not realise this, but these are significant health risks. If you, if you look at, um, you know, the mortality rates of people who have loneliness and depression, like it's comparable with things like obesity and smoking, like it's a serious health risk. And one of the challenges is that when we get older, it becomes harder to socialise, maybe you have fewer friends, um, you don't have the same mobility, you can't drive. So, you know, one of the key things we're trying to build with the technology is a way in which we can use robots to mediate human-human interactions. So potentially the robot can be a social partner for the person, um, but I think more importantly the robot can help uh, put people in touch. So for example, a loved one will be able to contact you know, their parents through a robot that's in the, in the, in the older person's home. What I, what I absolutely loved about this, and for those that haven't seen uh, Stevie, he trundles along on three wheels, his face comprises of a screen which can host pictorial promptlers for those with hearing impairments and may even be used to independently contact emergency services. And if the user becomes unresponsive, he can actually have basic conversations with his users and play simple games. What I love about you had was a paddy that actually came in and actually was 
like role playing it and actually was there as a patient to actually um, go through the different process and give you that kind of real life uh, feedback how we actually saw it and also kind of working with alone yeah. as well so the, so, the, so the design thinking and the empathy that's really put into the whole process and the user ability is just is just really really good to see well that, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that you, you think so um, for, for us you know we have to know what we're good at and what we're not so good at and you know we would see ourselves as being people who know how to build robots well but ultimately there's people more qualified than us to you know, make the decision of what the robot should be doing, how it should be doing it, and you know, one of the kind of key things that we've tried to adopt as a group is is, is very much a user centered approach in how we develop applications <coughs> for the robot. So we try and engage in a participatory process where you know we don't build the applications and then try and find the users. It's it's quite the opposite. We 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 start by saying. You know what are the problems that exist? Can we work with people who are experts in this area that you know have have years of experience that maybe have a network of, of users we can test with? And then as a collaboration, we, we we try and you know try and find out where the where, you know what are the what are the tasks that would deliver the most value and can we prototype these? Yeah. Uh, so that that leads to us kind of honing in on tasks that I guess like you mentioned, um, and certainly you know one of the, one of the key things we've noticed is that like a lot of technology that you and I take for granted and we, 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 we see it as being highly usable um, is, is not usable for the people who need it most. Yeah. So, like, you know, for example, if people are familiar with the Google Home or the Amazon Echo devices, as good as they are, like, you know, it only takes a hear- someone who has a hearing problem to wipe them out. Yeah. If someone who has had a stroke and can't speak clearly, can't enunciate their words, they can't use this technology. So for us, you know, we, we, we kind of understand how complicated things actually are. Um, and, and we try and you know focus on these 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 really um, challenging problems that that they're very interesting research problems. And just just the costings over the next couple of years, I know it's very very challenging to put a figure on them uh, as well. It probably for some people it will be out of reach. Uh, have you got any ideas? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, and we're in the process of kind of this. This is more the commercialization strategy. Where we're not, we're not, we don't have a fully defined model, pricing model yet. But I, I think from our perspective, we want to make sure that we we see this as being very accessible, much more accessible than the alternative, which is you know, um, paying human labor. Which as the population, elderly population, continues to grow at such a fast rate, you know, there's not going to be enough young people who are at the working age that are going to be able to provide the services. So, you know, however expensive the technology is, we think this is a price that this is going to be a cost that decreases over time, whereas the cost of the human labor is going to significantly increase. I think that insurance companies, if we can show that this is going to, you know, have a preventative effect, it's going to keep people out of hospital, then there's going to be incentive there for insurance companies to, to, to fund this. And um, there's a, a guy um, in, the, in, in DKIT Who's a real who's a real expert on on in this space and the other space and there's a, a kind of a funding model that that he advocates um it's called social the social impact model where basically you know the government can pay for results as it were uh, so effectively there are systems in place you can set up that you know it, it's worked very effectively in the UK for things like you know child crime so if you if you can at a grassroots level pay for some sort of a service and you can say that within three years we're going to have you know half of the number of reoffenders as a result of this service then if you can make claims like this and then you can back them up, then the government have a, a, a risk-averse way of funding it. Yeah, and the fantastic thing you mentioned with Stevie was, let's say as you, out of 65, you have three accidents a year, for example. If Stevie was to prevent two of those accidents, the costs alone for people not to have to go into hospital or if there was breaks and all these different things 
would, would be massively it paid itself probably 10 times over if not more yeah well like the numbers I have to hand um, you know in the US $30,000 is what the average cost of a fall is right so you know when you consider you know it might not initially make sense to have a robot like you know like Stevie in every home but potentially places like nursing homes where you tend to have more falls it would make sense and you know you could very if it just says two or three falls a year you could break even which again it's 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 from our perspective like there will be a a certain time it'll take to kind of you know get settled as it were it's it's a lot of the things we're trying to do haven't been done before so you can expect a number of years where we're kind of settling in but once the technology gets to that point where we've solved those basic teething problems yeah you know it's it's it, it, it will save a huge amount of, of money but it, really the, the costing shouldn't be what justifies this it should be you know, it should be a mixture of things. It should be the social benefit it brings. It should, yes. it should be the quality of care. It should be the like one of the big, one of the big kind of stakeholders in this that don't normally get 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 discussed are the carers themselves. Like you know, in general, this is a, a job that is very very demanding. It's a huge amount of pressure. It's generally something that promotion is hard to get. It's low paid, low skill. Like if we're able to take make robots that take some of the kind of low value work, the kind of you know basic stuff like you know telling people to get out of bed at a certain time in the morning and remind us to take your medication or whatever things like this yeah. that you know traditionally you know you wouldn't associate with quality time and freeing up freeing up caregivers to do more high value tasks to be able to actually listen do the things that people do best that's yeah. that's what we're trying to do here it's not like you know we're not like the reason why we're in a university and we haven't spun out is because like there's more to this than just making money that's yeah. that's that, that's that's the approach that we have of course where do you see the future of AI robotics going and I know it's a very broad question but especially with edX coming in and so many different things it's, it's a really interesting question and I'm very guarded to make predictions on things because I think too often people get excited and carried away about robots and then make predictions and stuff that don't do any favors to the field so usually when I do when I, when I ask a question like this I, I try and take a conservative stance there's a tendency there for people to attribute a lot of responsibility to the AI and not to see that the AI is a byproduct of human decision making. Um, and that causes me a lot of stress because we blame AI for things when it's really us we should be blaming. And I think that accountability for the things that machines do, whether they're AI or data or whatever else, is something that needs to, to come to the, fore, to, to, to the forefront. And I, I see that if we don't do this, then whatever problems we're seeing now with Facebook and you know companies that are in, in the data analytics space, it's going to get progressively worse because robots are the next step. Uh, what I hope happens is is that we start to ask questions about people who are who are doing things in the, the AI space and the robotics space very seriously, and that I hope that the engineers who build these things take responsibility for what they're being used for. Like too often, and we you know we really should be learning from our mistakes here is that engineers build technology and then distance themselves from what happens with it. And I think that from our perspective, one of the reasons why we don't want to just be a research group is we want to be more than that. We want to be involved with deployment is, 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 is just that accountability. Um, you know, robotics, like any technology that can disrupt, has the potential for good and bad. And it's very important that whoever's building it is accountable for the good and they're answerable for the bad. Yeah, it's it's particularly interesting. I was I was um, thinking about it. So you have let's say a robot. Let us not call him Stevie. Let's call him. Okay. He's call him. Let's call him Paul, and he's a baddie, right? And the robot goes and harms somebody. Does the owner go to prison, or does Paul the robot be taken away and put into it? I, it's all these different things were kind of running through my head. Who, who gets uh, who gets disciplined, or is a mixture of both? 
for example. Yeah, well, like, these these kind of philosophical questions are, are ones that are cropping up a lot, and you see it with kind of autonomous vehicles. Like a lot, a lot of these kind of ethical debates that are going to go around in circles, and you know, there's probably a lot of PhDs and postdocs are going to spend time thinking about this, and like there's probably no black or white, right or wrong answer. Um, I think that there's far more real ethical challenges that are, are going to be faced. And I'll give you an example of one that we're looking at at the moment. So one of the projects that's not Stevie, um, we're, we're investigating how we might be able to build a kind of a, almost like a teddy bear that might be able to provide some sort of social feedback that we could potentially give to kids who are spending time in hospital that, you know, for whatever reason, they don't actually have the same amount of social interaction as they should be getting. And this, the basic idea this, this, of this robot is that it's a kind of an assurance for a child. And we think that, you know, from, from, from working with experts in the space, we think this can be quite effective. But when we pilot this, let's say we pilot it for, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, and let's say it works very well. Like, there's a big ethical dilemma there, because if we take that teddy back off the kid, then that could cause them upset. And that could have a negative effect or consequence on them. And again, we're, the similar technology can be applied to people with dementia or Alzheimer's. And, you know, when you give someone a technology as a pilot and it works, which is what we hope for, and then we have to take it back, like, that's not a good thing. That upsets them. Um, and these are, these are very, for us, these are challenging things because, you know, we're, we're, we don't have the capacity to be able to provide people with, with, with the technology. The technology probably won't be cleared. It won't reach the standard needed. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of factors like this that, that are, are an awful lot less kind of, you know, it's not going to make the news. They're a lot, an awful lot kind of more subtle. But they're very real ethical issues. Yeah, and do you know what? That would keep an awful lot of people up at night thinking about those those issues. And it's uh, they you're right, they're not going to make the news, but they're so important. Absolutely, uh, as, uh, as well. There's some other ones that are you know as important too. Is like you know consent is a big issue around data. And if we have a robot, for example, that's um, let's say you know we've someone who has Alzheimer's, and the robots you know helping them remind them for things, and you know, probably recording some data as as they go along. Like you know what happens if they forgot they give, they've already given consent. Or what happens if they change their mind, but you know, we don't know if they're compass mentis yet. Like, who, who, are the, who are the key decision makers? Who are the key actors in those scenarios? Um, these are really tricky, tricky, tricky use cases. Very much uh, so. And like, I, I don't want to say we have the answers, because we don't. And uh, you know, it's, it's something that we want to be very open about how, how we develop the technology. Yeah. This is why I, we want I, to have that kind I, of... I think it's really important that we're really posing all these questions, yeah. and everyone actually is. Uh, Connor, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no, not at all. Thank My you. Pleasure. That's all for this episode of AI in Action. Hope you really enjoyed it. If you'd like to stay updated with all the latest podcasts, then please head over to the website, aiinaction.ie, and subscribe to the newsletter to get the podcast delivered straight to your inbox. Finally, I'd like to take the time to let you know about the AI Awards. We're now looking for applications from academia and industry professionals to apply. Set up in 2018, the AI Awards are a not-for-profit business, community-led initiative that was set up to celebrate the best in artificial intelligence and data science in Ireland. Our focus is to support the AI community by recognising the hard work and dedication of those working in the field of AI, data science and machine learning. We see this as a fantastic opportunity to showcase your work and skills to the AI community on the island of Ireland and also help raise the profile of Ireland as a destination for AI investment. Winning an award brings industry-wide recognition, raises your company profile and increases awareness of your brand and product. Applications take only a couple of minutes, so go ahead, apply today at www.aiawards.ie. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next week.